Today is the 4th February 2014. Subject, Monad. Some time ago I was giving you teachings on the third initiation and taking the third. And so there was a series of teachings related to the taking the thirds and then testing candidates who could take their third. And what you have now is the result of that testing period. And then I dropped the subject of the third initiation on the hall and decided to talk about other things because it was clear to me that very few really understood the conditionings needed to uh, climb the mountain and uh, stand transfigured. The climbing the mountain is the mountain of mind and the rigorous endeavour of developing the mind and this is the yogic mind it necessitates proper uh, adherence to yogic tapas tapas means forms of austerities that uh, and in this particular case it's mental austerities and it means really working upon the mind and with the mind to produce for instance creative output and all the other things to do with the awakening of mind with a capital M. In old Tibet, they had certain techniques. They found a, a yogi, the guru in other words, and who put the, the chilas through quite strenuous exercises. And they spent decades often. You know, Milarepa, for instance, spent seven years with Mapa before he was really given any teachings. And there was another seven or so years in caves all over around Tibet uh, before he gained his awakening or enlightenment. And the last instruction was, the, you know, which Marpa gave to him, a, a scroll and said, um, only read this in the moment of greatest difficulty. And his moment of greatest difficulty after all these years of meditating was when he was losing concentration and picked up the scroll and said, go out and get some food. So he went and got some food, and after that he gained his enlightenment. What I'm getting to is that the taking of the third initiation is the first cosmic initiation. It's the, it's, it's, uh, the real initiation. The first and second initiations are just called initiations on the threshold. They're introductory, and they, they happen um, within the Earth system. But the third initiation actually awakens you to cosmos. I call it um, the Alea Vijnana initiation because it um, gives you full experience of the Alea, the um, storehouse of mind, which includes the kingdom of the soul, the kingdom of the symbol of care. And that is what you awaken to fully in the third initiation is uh, you die to your personality and all of the Buddhist texts, whether it's Hinayana or Mahayana, uh, stresses the necessity of um, attaining selflessness. And this concept of dying to the self is very hard, especially for Westerners. They're very attached to the ego and egocentric activities. I was also talking a little bit about the rising of Kundalini and what that meant to the necessity of handling the fire and the awakening of the fires up the spinal column and the way that they liberate chakras. I didn't talk too much about that, but I gave you 
in the background. What those that are working for this particular initiation, this liberation or awakening, must do therefore is prepare their head centers for the liberation of the fires. And the fires must travel up the spinal column and not burn its you know, from the base of the spine to the head lotus and not burn a path through the line of least resistance, causing insanity, sickness, premature death, madness. It takes quite some work, and this is what the yogis do. They prepare themselves for this liberation of these fires. The, the first of the yogis is Yoga Psychic Heat, and um, or the, I think the yogas of Naropa, and that is necessary in order to, especially in places like Tibet, which are very cold. So most yogins actually had to live in freezing temperatures, sitting in a cave, no potential heating or any of those things, uh, normally with one, uh, one cloth over them, and survive minus you know, 10, 20 degrees centigrade temperature. The, the real accomplished yogis could sit in the snow and melt the snow around them. And this is accomplished through the yoga of psychic heat. And the yoga of psychic heat is really just the first stage of the awakening of Kundalini and their successive you know, higher stages. So all of you that feel the cold and um, would like to actually be able to generate this type of psychic heat, which for Tibetans was pretty common. It was very basic. One of the things that I did not stress or really point out, barely mention it, was that the third initiation happens, as I said, when you prepared the head lotus, the thousand petal lotus, for two things. One, is the arising of the fires stored at the base of the spine. And these are the creative fires that were impregnated into the mental plane, the junction between the higher mental and the lower mental, at the dawn of creation. And when I was talking about um, the formation of a solar system, I don't know how long ago now, um, I was really talking about how Kundalini came to be incorporated in, well, into time and space uh, to create time-space continuum. And this whole spiral cyclic motion is actually a form of this communion and the, what everyone's seen in their DNA, the, um, that's also an aspect of the communion, mimics it. The second thing that the head lotus must prepare itself is the scent of the energy of the monad. The monadic word must go all the way down to the spinal column, down the spinal column, and awaken the, the, the goddess, the feminine energy. The monad is the masculine. And the, um, the kundalini shakti, shakti, and the word shakti really does mean feminine force, is the feminine. So it's the father and the mother. So the father descends, and it's a form of quotas, if you want, um, to the base of the spine, and then liberates the energy. And it's a, the monadic word. 
It descends, liberates the energy, and then the energy spirals up. And so the monadic word can only descend when the head lotus um, can handle the full blast of what appears from that eye. So the subject of the monad is what the initiates from the second degree upwards are really studying or really have to begin to understand. And it's a difficult, abstruse subject to explain because, of course, the, um, there's a triplicity, spirit, soul, form. Life quality appearance is another way that DK puts it. And this spirit, the monad, is what you truly are, what we truly are. The soul itself, uh, the Tathagatagava or the Samboga Kea flower, as I call it, um, is also an illusional body of appearance. It has a birthing, which we call individualization. It has a death, which happens at the fourth initiation, which the Buddhists call Shunyata. At the fourth initiation, there is just simply the head lotus and the monad. No soul form toning down the force, the, the, the potent will of the monadic dynamics. I find it difficult, um, I use the term dynamic will up here, um, dynamo, dynamism, will, power, uh, spirit. Uh, you're looking at the most intense form of electrical energy that um, the soul itself is shielding you. And that's one of its uh, functions. It's a sun in incarnation. It's the love-wisdom principle and it veils the monadic potency in what I call the monadic eye. or I mean the shunyata eye, which is the very heart of the soul. And all of you know the diagram of the soul, so I don't need to um, explain that. As you are working for your third initiation, which we can call enlightenment, uh, the ahat enlightenment is the, um, the same thing in the Hinayana tradition. What you're preparing yourself for is to become monadic. To become monadic means to hold in consciousness uh, the most intense form of energy. It's along the line of the first ray line. Uh, it's will or power and it's exceedingly intense. And none of you at this stage can bear the full blast of the monadic eye. It would just kill you. Literally, you would explode. So it takes a lot of preparation. You cannot hold the monadic potency if there's any watery substance. The emotions would turn into steam and just explode. <laughs> um, and so the entire... The entire path, and um, what I'm writing about in the Bada Todol and in the initiation path and what DK writes about, etc., is the mechanism of the control of the emotions, in other words, the unruly samskaras, the um, defilements, and to develop the fires of the mind and to make the fires of the mind more and more incandescent so that it can bear the spirit aspect that is the true human unit. 
This is the part of the teachings I haven't given you so far or only hinted at, but it's something that all of you that are preparing for your awakening need to know and need to think about seriously. The monad itself is a cosmic traveller. It's sojourn, sojourn on this planet for in its lifespan is literally just but a twinkling of the eye. And you can think of a Buddha and a Buddha that is a dust gone, in other words. Such a being, all that that is, is a human unit that is fully identified with the monad and the monad um, is now returning um, on back on its cosmic journey to get go on to the next step of its evolutionary progress. It has gained all it possibly could from incarnation in the material domain uh, that we call this particular Earth or any other similar spheres because, of course, um, there are many other spheres in the solar system and all the other solar systems where monads incarnate. This is but one school of learning. It's quite a vast picture when you begin to think cosmically. It's the production of the soul. It focuses upon the soul. Um, and the, as I said, it focuses upon the shunyatai, the central portion of the soul. And um, for the great portion of the evolution of, of a human unit, those 777 incarnations, the monad doesn't have to look much. <laughs> There's not much it can do. It's only when a being is on the initiation path can the monad um, begin to you know, take an active role in the soul's evolution. And the personalities that come and go, 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 they're just sort of like fleeting whiffs, uh, puffs of wind that, um, that is just a mechanism of developing the qualities that the monad needs. Those of you that are aspiring for the higher initiations, uh, one of the meditations you do is see if you can um, get a glimpse of your monadic eye, the colourings of your monad and the intensities of those colourings. The monad, is, um, as we've got here, uh, you know, just uh, is in the form of an eye, the pupil of an eye, um, the iris and the white of an eye. And uh, with regards to the soul, there's seven times seven groups of soul, and likewise with the hierarchy, uh, within the ashrams of hierarchy, there's seven times seven ashrams. Not all of them are formed. Some of them are still um, to come into existence because the masters have not yet appeared. But when, when it comes to the level of the monad, there's only um, seven times three. So there's three groupings of monad, um, those of dynamic will, those of dynamic love, and those of dynamic activity. And within those three main groupings, there's seven subgroupings for each. And also, when you look at the head lotus, it's also in the form, it's the, the image of what the monad is. And it's actually equipped, those thousand petal lotus, or 1,056 petals, they are equipped to handle or to reflect the potency of the monad. And it's similarly tiered. 
I normally talk um, in my writings of when it comes to the head lotus, the solar plexus in the head, which is the outer tier, the heart in the head, which is the middle tier, and the throat in the head, which is the central tier. But there's two other tiers um, that are veiled. Um, so there's really five tiers, but the, the other two tiers are quite small. Um, to the head lotus. And so there's three main tiers as there is of the monadic eye. And that is what the monad can focus upon when it uh, can look upon the personality. It is the head lotus. And the finger of that is anchored in the heart. The finger of life. Which um, is the store of what you know, is called shunyata. Which is life. I've tried to depict here, depict here a little bit about the way a monad grows. It also evolves. And many, many years ago I did my main meditations on the monad and monadic evolution. I got some really nice visualizations of um, cosmic evolution from first principles all the way through to the way monads descend and eventually become uh, no, I, I should have written it all down in those years, but those years I was lazy and I'm now and I got the visualizations and said, wow, great. However, I'm not going to go into the myth of monadic evolution because some of the great myths really concern that monadic evolution. Uh, the myth of the Minotaur, the myth of, um, well, the Sphinx, and other sort of grey entities as you go up and further further back in time, monadic forms as they descend from the cosmic mental plane and descend into the cosmic dense physical. The monad actually has to descend and it is preparing itself to take form onto the cosmic dense physical which are the seven systematic planes to which we all evolve in. Okay? And so there's a process of descent. There's actually a process of formation of the monad on the cosmic mental. It first appears in the form of a, basically a form of a logos, a little dot uh, with a, a radius. And that's what I call the mineral monad. That is the, a monad that can appropriate the substance of a mineral kingdom. Now, if you think of um, yourselves as a monadic form in the last solar system, for all of you, including me, and the last solar system, at a certain stage of that solar evolution, your monads were formed and were overshadowing the mineral kingdom and embodied myriads of mineral unities. <laughs> it could go no further. The second... Um, sphere I've got here, the central dot and the circle around it, and the, and the third circle is uh, at the point of individualization. Individualization is when an animal kingdom evolves into a human kingdom, it gains a soul. And at that particular point of time, the monad appropriates the form of that soul. 
So at individualization, when the monad appropriates the form of the soul, now if you, all of you have seen the picture of the soul, and you see the nine main walls, walls of petals, and at the centre is the, the, um, the iris area. Now, that is a flower. It's um, obviously a flower. And that's actually the flower of the monad that has got its roots up in cosmic space and cosmic mental arena. And the flower of the monad has found its um, display on the systemic mental plane. So it's an inverted flower. And the monad at that particular time, at the point of individualization, is a member of the cosmic plant kingdom. And so um, what we call the planting of the cosmic seed. <laughs> Man in uh, the secret doctrine is called, um, um, Blavatsky uses the term Sapta Purana, seven-leafed plant. And that's what a human unit is esoterically. It's um, interesting to think that at this level of cosmic evolution, until you've taken your third initiation, your monad is a member of the plant and is consumed by Logi. There's uh, lots of uh, writings that initiates will do in the future all about this whole subject. All of you have probably read the book Leaves of Moya's Garden. If you haven't read it, you've heard of it. And uh, Moya's Garden is this garden of monads. That's what he's tending. And um, so at his particular level, and specifically for those that are working on the first ray line, the initiates of the first ray, their role is monadic. This is the, the day, the ones that are most receptive to the energy of will, to the intensity of will, um, to uh, the dynamism of the will, and they have all of the exaggerations associated with having to handle these energies, as well as, of course, high initiates. They also have similar exaggerations of having to handle intense energies, and the first ray initiates, this is the line of least resistance, and they um, learn to tend this particular garden under the species of Moya. The second ray initiates, they are more focused upon the kingdom of souls. And then the initiates of the rays of mind are more focused upon the development of human civilization so that they can awaken. Um, the higher abstract mind. And so you get this sort of um, three-tiered system. So the individualization, time of individualization upon this planet Earth is, was about um, 18 million years ago. And this average humanity are the, the results of that. And so you can see that on the whole they are members of this cosmic plant kingdom. As the soul grows and gains more and more experiences and its petals start to blossom, flower, 
the monadic eye starts to gain the coloration that is the purpose for that incarnation. So one of the things to note is that the monad for initiates has a, a big central pupil that's, that's quite wide depending on the degree of initiation. So the central colour, the central pupil area is the primary colour of the monad. So if we say second ray monad, first ray monad or third ray monad, which are the three types of monads, it's the central colouring that we're talking about. And the colours, and so all three tiers have different colourings. There's the tier of the will, the tier of the love tier, and then there's the tier of activity. And it's mostly the tier of activity that comes to be coloured um, during monadic incarnation, such as while it's a, a member of the plant kingdom. The soul itself can be a sub-hue of any of these three. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the um, central monadic colouring. It can be um, a sub-hue of, for instance, the activity petal or the activity tier of a monad, um, if that's the quality that the monad is trying to develop in that incarnation. And by incarnation, I mean <laughs> of the evolution of, of that particular soul within that sphere of activity we call the Earth in this case, and it can be on Mars or somewhere else where a different a planetary colouring comes and helps to develop its potencies, what it is endeavouring to achieve. So for the monad, there is gain as it evolves from this simple diagram to something where the central pupil becomes bigger and bigger and the colours actually become more vibrant. When you do have a visualisation of your monad or your monadic eye in your meditation and you can actually register the colour, then it gives you the truth of what you are and where you will go to cosmically, your cosmic home. Now, you're used to thinking of uh, the first ray of red, you know, sort of like a scarlet red, the second ray of indigo blue and so forth. But those of you who have done serious meditations will know that when you go to the higher domains and as you get more and more exalted um, levels, then these colourings um, uh, <laughs> completely transform. Uh, you have ultra bronzes, you know, silver with all speckles of colour in it, the divas, when you get to the higher divas, they have the most brilliant, you know, opalescent colours. And the opals and, for instance, the peacock feathers, these are all sort of like um, gross earthly parodies of the, the, the brilliance of the colours. And by the time you get to the monadic eye, then there's all sorts of hues that are from the cosmic astral that... <laughs> that you know, it's very hard for the average 
eye to behold, the average mind to behold. But this is why you purify yourself. This is why you develop your meditation techniques. This is why you work upon your samskaras. This is why you develop love. This is why you um, manifest your tapas, your, your austerities, so that um, you become more and more um, your impediments, the gross impediments are thrown out of you and more and more it's refined thinking, the emotions start to uh, be translated into love love wisdom which is bodhicitta uh, so the emotions get converted into bodhicitta and then that is the ability um, to hold steady in consciousness the potency of the monadic eye that is the initiation path, in essence. As you can withstand the potency of the monadic eye, that is what makes you a resonance of Shambhala. Um, Shambhala is but a head lotus of this planet that uh, is constituted of monadic lives and greater. So, you can see that on the whole it's all really a question of energy of the intensity of energy that you can bear at any particular time and you know the the mystic swoons when a touch of the Mulegan energy comes into them the Christ energy or the energy of Krishna or symbolic potency um, it bathes them with bliss, blissful feeling and it's just a tiny amount. Um, but it's the maximum they can bear, and they bear it through their emotional body, and that's what produces that um, high ecstasy. But those of you that become occultists and develop the mind can bear more and more of the intensity of this eye. And the third initiation is the beginning of the process, and the fifth initiation is... The ending of the process, as far as being a resident of this planet goes, after the fifth, when you take the sixth, except for a tiny little handful of kohans, um, all six-degree initiates leave the planet um, because they fully um, monad, and there's no more need to be, nothing more to gain um, through evolution in this planet Earth. You are a, a, a um, well, Jivan Mukta, and Jina, to use the, um, not a Tibetan, a um, Sanskrit term, also means a conqueror. You're Buddha, Tathagataga, you know, Tathagata. Um, anyway, all these, these terms, we can go into many, many different terms, Moksha and, you know, and Dharmakaya, all these types of terms that are trying to explain monadic vision and they all fall short because of course um, they can only know it when you've experienced it now I want to give you all a um, a bit of um, concept of relativity as I mentioned before at the time of individualization you're a member of the plant kingdom cosmically. At the third initiation, you become a member of the animal kingdom cosmically. 
literally you become something like an amoeba from the point of view of cosmic humanity. Of course, um, you're fully awakened, you have that mind, um, that enlightened mind and so forth, and they know you as such, but relative to them, um, your level of consciousness is amoebic-like. At the fourth initiation, you're something like an ant. Uh, scurrying around, you can think of a leaf-cutter ant or something like that. Um, you're part of a hive, which is hierarchy. You're busy, 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 busy working, uh, doing all sorts of activities for that hive, for hierarchy, for the planet. Um, but your size um, and your level of uh, spiritual development and your mobility, um, cosmically speaking, is ant-like. At the fifth initiation, which is the making of a master of wisdom, you're the equivalent of a bee. Um, and uh, you can be from bee to hornet sort of thing. But um, you're part of a, uh, a, high, a um, beehive and you know how busy those bees are making honey and you know people go and raid the honey. And that beehive... Uh, technically can be uh, viewed as Shambhala and the hexagonal structure of the of each honeycomb um, is part of the 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 mandalic structure of Shambhala itself um, Shambhala's uh, its matrix is actually a five it's based on the pentagram um, but there's the the five and the six interlaid overlaid so the this um, concept of being busy as a bee uh, is a cinnamon for a master of wisdom, a great one that's always working. And that's the reason why all of you that are working to become high initiates, third degree initiates and, and, and above, you are tested by giving you an overload of work and all of us say, oh, we've got no time, no time, too much to do. And it's not the type of work that relates to satiating your personality. It's service work. Just too many things to do, to give to humanity, to develop yourself, and very little time for anything else. And um, that overload of work is the preparation of you becoming a master of wisdom. A master of wisdom has to work multidimensionally. Um, the kingdom of souls, Shambhala, humanity, the domain of hierarchy, sometimes cosmos, simultaneously functioning. Right? And most of us find it difficult to function just on the physical plane. But you have to begin to think in terms of um, multi-dimensional simultaneous activity if you are going to become a master of wisdom. It's not always like that, but sometimes it is. They you know, getting telepathic instructions from their disciples. They, you know, if you think of the average master, the fifth degree initiate, and they accept you and you and you and you as, as disciples, there's antikranas between the master's heart and yours, and that master will be at your side like that if anything happens to you, if you're uh, going astray of your thoughts. And the Master is simultaneously 
um, linked to the entire ashram and to members of our hierarchy, the other masters of wisdom and so forth, to the Deva kingdom. And all these thoughts are coming in and very instantaneously um, um, is processing what needs to be responded to, what needs um, to, um, can, can be held in the balance, um, what can be said, what need not be said, and so forth. Um, so you can get an idea of the form of activity that you are evolving into to become, and the, therefore the need for all of you to become busy. Busy in the right way. And those that are selfishly motivated with their time, because they think that their time is more important than service work time, um, those are not on the cube or not on the train for their third initiation. They can't take it. It's that simple. The, the amount of right-focused activity um, where you're stretched to the utmost um, in service work is the training to be a master of wisdom and that is also what you need to do if you're going to bear in consciousness monadic potency you've got to have what I call I used to put in my book and, the, and it's still in my um, old I concept um, tensity uh, I've been eliminating the word tensity and um, changing with intensity uh, because I discovered the word tensity doesn't exist in the English language. Um, but I had a specific um, concept of tensity is the, to make the mind intense, uh, like, like steel. And in the Buddhist philosophy they call it um, shintamani, uh, the diamond mind. And if you think of a diamond mind and, and how tense it is, and that's the word I was trying to use by meaning using intensity, that um, the, the energy field of it holds the most... Yeah, you know, when a diamond, when light hits the diamond, it reflects it into all of those brilliant colours. Um, and at the same time, it is the hardest substance on Earth, or one of the hardest. And that's the same type of mind that you must develop. And you do this by overcoming some scars, overcoming your emotions, developing your mind, making it more and more rarefied until it is clear light. And this is the mind of a higher initiate. And so you can see one reason why I have so few now and um, why there's only a few of you left for training is because this level of producing that form of tensity those that cannot, they're too emotional in their thinking and so forth, or too selfish, as I said, self-motivated, um, have gone. They cannot bear the teachings. They do not want to follow anything more than what is comfortable in their lifestyle. Um, comfortable level of service work. That's okay. They stay at the second level or initiation level or move backwards to the first it's comfortable for them, easy for them to do, and they're happy with them because it gives them joy and love and they're doing something spiritual and all the rest of it. But the move from the second to the third, this tensity, um, and to hold that in meditation is what must be done. In my case, you can see me sometimes like I did at the beginning of this, and joke or laugh a little bit, but it doesn't mean that my head, my mind, 
is not held in density, is not held in this type of diamond structure. So there's this um, multi-level mode of being, and all of you here uh, training along this way, all of you uh, becoming monadic. And that is the training that is given to you. Um, it's not so much the soul. We're not asking you, and you've never really seen me in all of these years of teaching you, to develop projections to the soul. That's not what I've been really teaching you. What I've been teaching you is that which bypasses the soul to monad, the higher initiations. The third and fourth initiation most of you should take together. I'd gone to something like the beehive for a fifth degree initiate, and now you've got an idea of that. The bee has grown wings and flies and gets honey from lots of flowers. The flowers are souls, the flowers are other kingdoms of nature and so forth. And it brings all of that to the central hive, which is Shambhala. And this is the fifth degree initiate. The sixth degree initiate level is um, something like a small mammal. Uh, you can think of a little rabbit or... You know, it's much greater in size. Now, as they go in size, what it really means is that more and more lives are incorporated into that body of manifestation that that initiate embodies. So, as you become a greater and greater initiate, you're taking larger and larger um, human souls and animals and divas with you. And they are all part of your body of manifestation, the mandala. And that's what my book, um, which we just published, is really all about. It's the formation of mandalas, what I call cellular consciousness. <laughs> and so this is the mandala in this particular case, cosmically, is something like a small rabbit or a hare or whatever, um, or a cat. That's the sixth degree initiative, and therefore they. They've got much greater mobility. They can um, roam over the land, the cosmic la um, the, um, landscape. Um, seventh degree initiate, um, the Christ is um, the one, and therefore the symbolism of the Jesus' baptism is the, the Spirit of God descending as a, a dove above Jesus when he was baptised. And that dove is the symbol of the seventh degree initiate something like a bird or an eagle. Uh, it flies, uh, it can soar high, but it's really uh, the ability to travel far and fast in cosmos. An eighth and a ninth degree initiate, uh, the large mammals, something like a cow, can even be a horse. They're preparing for cosmic individualization. When you take your fourth initiation, you lose the soul. The soul no longer, it's gone, right? You're into nirvana, sunyata. Um, you, you get this experience of Jesus, you know, sort of, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? There's nothing. Uh, for one brief moment, there's absolutely nothing. And then from that nothing, then the plenitude of, of, of the all um, begins to take its place. So... This um, fourth degree, you lose your soul. And technically, from the fourth initiation to the tenth initiation, you're soulless. <laughs> you're a member of the animal kingdom. 
at the tenth initiation, you enter, you again take individualization. You become a member of cosmic humanity, what I call Logos. And um, so a cosmic a soul form appears um, for a tenth degree initiate. And at that particular level, a Logos then has the capacity um, to manifest a planetary sphere such as this Earth, uh, later on a solar sphere. And so it's the tenth degree initiate and beyond that embody a sphere such as ours. And within a planetary sphere such as ours, a tenth degree initiate then will go through the process of manifesting all the planes of perception, the divas that come into incarnation, the animal kingdom that forms, the human kingdom that, that can come in, because the soul is there, the kingdom of souls can form and flower thenceforth. So it gives you this, this idea of cosmic relativity. And one thing I do want to point out, when the, monad, when the tenth degree initiate individualizes on its level, on his level, her level. Um, it's the same as when the human kingdom individualized. Uh, it's not one. It's billions of animal units become souls. And so, likewise, on cosmos, in cosmic level, it's not you know, one, one tenth degree initiate. Um, when it's time for a tenth degree initiative to, to become a kingdom of souls, suddenly a whole uh, galaxy of stars come into existence. Uh, that's, I mean, it's not suddenly, it takes millions of years, but that formation of a galaxy of stars is the appearance of these lives that um, are now ready to manifest their bodies of manifestation take form, just the same as our monads have taken form by the soul. It's, this is the process that all of us are on and all members of hierarchy are on, all the members of Shambhala and when for instance you talk about you know, the secret doctrine in the Bali books um, say Santa Comara is the eternal youth in the Bible Melchizedek uh, you know, forever and ever, youth forever and ever. That is a description of a tenth degree initiate. Right? Um, a human unit that's eternally a youth. Of course, a eternally a youth um, from our human perspective. It takes millions of years for that individual to grow. It gives you an idea of relativity. On the side of this particular chart, and I wanted to get into quite a number of things in this talk because it's quite an important talk for everyone to understand. I've given the uh, seven levels transmuted correspondences of cosmic humanity. Now, I'm not going to go too much into this subject right now because it's the last subject, and um, I'm going to review this one year and um, put in more detail. But when you think of our present humanity, which is at the Aryan level. Aryan level means mind, development of mind. And we can think of that as the baseline, the base level of, of cosmic humanity. And I'm talking about from this level to when a tenth degree initiate appears, which is the Logi, 
a logi of a sacred planet or sun. That's the 10th, 11th, 12th degree initiates. They go through the similar process as what I've just described that we will go through until they lose their souls, they become a 10th degree initiate. Or the next level of the formation of 10th degree initiate from the logi of planets, sacred planets and suns is the logi of constellations. So if you can think of um, beings that have gone through what we're going through all the way to the 10th degree initiate um, level and then starting again after the 4th and then starting again and starting again ever expanding in vaster and vaster arenas of cosmic space always vaster and vaster and vaster entities you can imagine this this is what I mean by these um, uh, levels of cosmic humanity transmitted correspondences and so after the logo of, constellation, of constellations you get the evolution of a dat logos now BK calls dat logos the one about whom not be, can be said I just um, uh, simplified to the word dat T-H-A-T because it explains it all and this particular dat logos if you look in the, in the night sky and look at all of those stars out there that's visible with the naked eye something like 5800 or something um, somewhere around that, that number um, that is the body of manifestation of the one about whom naught can be said. Now, when you think of our galaxy, composed of millions and million, billions of such units, then you get to the next level of cosmic humanity, the logi of, of galaxies. And remember, logi can be male or female. So that's the fifth level. And these logi of galaxies, <laughs> if you can think of our bat logos, the fourth level, that is the most common level of humanity in the cosmos. <laughs> There's the, that entity that embodies all those stars, all the 88 constellations of stars, that is the most common level. Because that's the fourth level which um, equates to our humanity our level of evolution. And so the next level is the logi of galaxies. And then those of you who have looked at um, maps of um, cos cosmological maps can know how many billions of galaxies there are out there. There's billions upon billions upon billions. And these are all uh, fifth level members of cosmic humanity. And then you get to the sixth level when the these galaxies are clustered together in huge galactic clusters. And if you looked at the map of the cosmos of the universe, you find that they come into filaments. Um, this is um, plasma theory. So again, male, female. And then finally on the seventh level, you get to the logi of a universe. And by logic, therefore, there are many universes. We live in a multiverse. Uh, and the universe is the male and female. And logically, there are three more synthesizing levels beyond that to make this sacred number 10. Now, what I was getting to is that our humanity is at the Aryan stage of evolution, it's the, and this is um, where we are. This next level, the, logo, uh, the logo of planets and suns, 
uh, at what I call Atlantean B, their level of development is Atlantis just prior to its sinking. So if you can think of a few thousand years prior to its sinking, that form of Atlantean activity and um, the wars that happened uh, in Atlantis, that's where most solar logi are at. They are something like average human beings on this planet at the Atlantean level of development because you're going back in time as you're going vaster and faster areas of space you're going further and further and back in time and their wheels are turning slowly compared to the wheel of a younger or less evolved entity so these wheels of a logo of say suns turn very very fast compared to the wheels of we're talking chakras and I'm talking about wheels of logo of constellations and they turn exceedingly fast compared to the logo of that logos and there's more and more substance to, to move and turn around so you're going back further and further into time and as you go back further and further into time everything happens in a much slower pace we, our little wheels are spinning sort of like <laughs> uh, so fast you can't even sort of see it it's a blur uh, even our monadic wheels um, compared to their wheels and so, so as you're going back into time, as you're going to greater and greater energies, you're going further and further back into time, and um, you're going back in time in terms of the evolution of human evolution. So, um, logo of sacred planets and suns, Atlantis B, what I call the logo of constellations at the beginning of the Atlantean evolu- um, evolution. The, you know, the beginning of Atlantis, if you want, um, when Atlantis was a bigger continent and before it split up. Um, and so you have to think in terms of um, very, very loving, um, no, very little mind, clairvoyant, um, emotional human units. Um, and of course, many, many Lemurians. Um, by the time you get to that Logos, you're talking about Lemurian consciousness. They're physically motivated. Um, and what I call Lemurian B is those that um, are the giants that are mentioned in, the, in our myths and legends. There were giants in those days, so says the Bible and all the myths and legends. So, so, and these giants are the ones that um, leave the remains, their, their bodies and so forth, and the megaliths that you see, um, these are all Lemurian sort of um, leftovers. And Lemuria A is when the earlier part of Lemuria when they're just coming out of the Ephric body and beginning to merge into the physical. And by the time you get to Logi of Galactic Clusters, you're going to the second root race, which is the um, Hermaphrodite, the um, um, Adam Eve state, you know, and they sort of um, naked in the Garden of Eden, um, and Eve had to pick the forbidden fruit, that level of um, human evolution. And the um, logo of the universe is the level of Adamic man, um, to use the Genesis terminology. Okay, so that gives you this idea of um, of cosmic evolution, of which the monad is an integral part of. It is a traveller in cosmos, and it moves from star to star as it gains the necessary experiences it needs for its own evolution. 
um, in our solar system, according to DK, because this is a solar system of love wisdom, that's its main purpose. The last solar system was one of, or of activity. Um, there are five billion units, um, monads, that are of dynamic will. In other words, first-ray monads. There are 35 billion uh, second-ray monads. And there are 20 billion um, third-ray monads. And so that makes 60 billion altogether. And of diva monads, there's 120 billion. And um, according to DK's um, cosmic fire, and so you can see that even um, where we are intrinsically, the diva kingdom is the, the dominant kingdom. In um, some, when I was talking about the formation when was, uh, of the solar system in the last solar system, and then when I was trying to give you some information about the fourth and fifth creative hierarchies, which was very difficult, I was actually trying to explain the divergence, how the Diva Kingdom diverged from the the, the, the Diva stream, went this way, the, those monads that become human came in a, a, a different way um, from out of the original primordial cosmic dust. The cosmic dust had within it the seeds of a certain stream that went the human way, another seed of a certain stream that went the Diva way. That gives you a, an idea. So, as your monad develops, as you gain further and further initiation, the central sphere becomes larger and larger because it admits of greater amounts of light into, into the system. <coughs>